Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Namaste. You are now in the Funk Soul Cafe, a cool, hot, soulful radio show for artists, writers, and so much more. Hosted by yours truly, Robert Batista. So sit back, grab a nice, warm, and soulful cup of java or chai, and listen and enjoy. For me, The first and foremost challenge is plotting. How can I take all these really cool facts and other things I learned in research and put them all together and add danger (coughs) and intrigue and make it all keep building to a hot stop in conclusion? After that is the sometimes plotting drudgery of getting it out of my head and onto paper or screen. Now, I'm finding the push of marketing to be a challenge. So to sum it up, plotting, plotting, and pushing. These are the insightful words of today's exciting guest, author Shannon Baker. Namaste, Shannon Baker, and welcome to the Funk Soul Cafe. Good afternoon, Robert. How are you doing? I'm doing wonderful. How are you? You know, I'm in Tucson, and it's about 85 degrees, so it's it's pretty fabulous. Although I was traveling last week, and I got a cold, so please excuse me if I end up coughing or sneezing. I'm really sorry about that. Well, that's quite all right. Um, it doesn't get better than that. <laughs> 85 right now. How great is that? <laughs> it's so, pretty um, fabulous. Shannon, let's. I'm sure. So let's first start off by taking your Java order. We have a wonderful variety of fine espressos, cappuccinos, and lattes. And we also have herbal teas for those tea lovers. So what's your fancy, Shannon? Well, you know, I'm kind of a a Western person, so not very fancy. So if you could just give me a dark roast with a big dollop of uh, cream in it, 
And then if, if it's not too much, if you put a splash of uh, Irish whiskey in there, that'd be perfect. <laughs> You're way ahead of me. I'm telling you, that's just what I thought I'd have, Sue, some Irish whiskey. Some Jameson? Oh, boy, that'd be right on the money. Um, and I'm going to put that in a very tall cup for you. <laughs> so Tell me the better. <laughs> and here you are. Enjoy it. <laughs> Thanks. So, Shannon, welcome to the show. One of the first questions I love to ask is, looking back, at what moment in your life did you get the itch to be an author? And what was the first thing you did to scratch that itch? Uh, well, you know, my, I have an older sister. And when I was in, she was always writing poems and things like that. Um, this was in the 70s when I was growing up. And um, I, when I was in sixth grade, I wrote this poem, and I thought it was great. And it was all about um, the loss of innocence and pollution destroying flowers and, you know, all those things that you write about when you're 12 years old and it's in the 70s and right. you're kind of a hippie. So I got all this accolade over it, and it was great. And my friend put it to music because she played a dulcimer, which was super great. And um, my sister got hold of that poem and looked at it and said, that I'd copied it from her because, you know, obviously nobody else was writing about the loss of innocence and flowers and things in the seventies. Right. <laughs> so um, <laughs> she got really kind of angry at me and she said, listen, I'm the writer in the family. You're just going to have to go find something else to do. And so being the obedient little <laughs> sister I was, I did, I just, I, I did other things. I never wrote, went to college in my freshman comp class. I had my, English professor brought me aside and he said, you know, I really think you should be an English teacher. You have a facility for the language. And the fact that I remember exactly his words, facility for the language, will tell you that I did have an itch, but I was, you know, I was in business at the time. I wanted to make a lot of money. But then I, um, I ended up getting married and moving out to the Nebraska Sandhills, which is like in the middle of no place. And I was a little bored right. and I was in this patriarchal, kind of society and my mother-in-law told me what I could do she told me very kindly laid it out for me said my uh, priorities were number one her son and number two her grandchildren and number three if I had any time left it would be the ranch work and wow you know I yeah I didn't take very kindly to that so I started writing um just kind of to to ease my mind just to kind of you know some outlet and then I started submitting and then I really got the bug. I joined Rocky Mountain Fiction Writers, and I started writing novels. And, you know, 20 years later, I got published. Wow, that's an awesome story. So your latest book, Stripped Bear, seems like a fantastic read. What is it about, and where did this story germinate from in your head? Well, uh I lived in the Sandhills for 20 years, and then I escaped. And it, I always knew I wanted to write about the Nebraska Sandhills because it's a unique landscape. It's really, um, it, it, on first glance, it's not gorgeous. It's pretty barren. When I broke through it my first time, I thought, oh, my God, nobody would ever live here. And then I ended up living there. But um, so it's, it's, um, it's huge. Um, it's 200 square feet of rolling uh, hills like like the Sahara Desert. It's it's literally sand, and it's grass covered. 
And the population out there is 0.95 people per square mile. So there are not very many people out there. And I always wanted to write about the Sandhills because the people out there have their own uh, view of life. They're very interesting people. Um, You know, they have a lot of determination and and ingenuity because they're on their own so much. Um, But it took me, oh, over 10 years after I left to get my sense of humor back about the place. So, um, and suddenly, you know, Kate just kind of sprang into my head and she had stories to tell and she wanted me to tell them. And, and it, you know, it was great. I, I thought, okay. And so I've been letting her talk to me. She doesn't always tell me what I think she's going to. <laughs> I'll plot and plan and then she just up and decides what she's going to do. But as her family knows, they just let her do what she's going to do. Yeah, speaking of Kate, um, the story's protagonist, Kate Fox, has been called ballsy, strong, and independent, but she's also said to be self-deprecating and snarkingly funny. Wow, what a deepenly rich and well-laid character. Were you and her in lockstep from the beginning, or did she grow and evolve on you over time? Kate kind of came to me fully formed. I think as a writer, this is my theory, I, have, I don't know if it's proven, but um, when you start off writing fiction, your characters are very close to who you are as a person. And the more you write, the more therapy it is for you, the further away you get from your, your character. So Kate really is not anything like me. She's a consummate insider. She's been in the Sandhills her whole life for generations. Um, and she's got a lot more uh, confidence and um, just independence than than I ever did at that age. Um, so I, I really like her. She just kind of came to me and just started dictating what, what was going to go on. I didn't really start off to write a ballsy character. I just started off writing about this woman that, um, and she wouldn't call herself ballsy either. She just does what needs to get done. <laughs> Whatever is thrown at her, she just does it. And she's got a lot, a really strong loyal streak. So, um, and and she has a very strong sense of justice. I think that's kind of a a Western trope. I mean, she really does see right and wrong and feels compelled to to act on it, always under duress because she would just as soon keep her head down and stay out of trouble. Interesting. Um, Kate, Many authors in the beginning look to hone their craft by taking advanced courses in creative writing and or joining various writers' workshops. Did you? I absolutely did. Um, because I started writing in the Nebraska Sandhills, I was very isolated. I didn't know another fiction writer out there. Um, and I, I started... Uh, look at, looking around for things that were close to me, and I discovered Rocky Mountain Fiction Writers, which is my writer home. It's my family. Um, so that was a five-hour five drive from where I live to Denver, which is where Rocky Mountain Fiction Writers is centered. And I went to every conference. I've gone to every conference for the last, I'm going to say 22 years. Um, it's a, it's a, it's always in September, and it's a three-day conference, and it, it, they taught me how to write, and they not only taught me how to write, they taught me how to, how the business works, 
Um, I made contacts through them. It, it's just an amazing organization. I can't say enough about it. I, I thank them in every book because they are so instrumental in, in my career. Yeah, I've had a few writers uh, on the show from there, and uh, it's always been a fantastic experience. So um, how much of your life is in the Kate Fox series? <laughs> well, um, like I said, I lived in the Sand Hills for 20 years. Um, I was never an insider. The whole time I was there, I was, I was always on the outside looking in. Um, but the, the – the similarities between me and Kate end with, um, in, in Kate's story, her husband has an affair, and um, it, it devastates her. And in my story, I was, um, so this is a town of 300 people, and I'd been married for 20 years, and my husband had an affair that had been going on for like five years. And I was, I was the third to the last person to know, be, behind my youngest daughter and his parents, both of, of whom I had to all tell which was lots of fun. So that's where it ends with me and Kate. I, I took off and left. Um, Kate stays, and it's her home. Um, so so it, in that regard, there's a lot of me there. Um, there's also the fact that I did learn to, I really, it was an effort, but I really did learn to love the Sand Hills. It's, it's an amazing place. And Kate, of course, loves the Sand Hills. So that's, that's kind of fun. Um, I, I also I'm, I'm really uh, really lucky in that the sheriff in the town Kate lives in, or the town very similar to the one Kate lives in, is a good friend of mine. So he's on speed dial, Sheriff Sean. I can just call him up and say, "Hey, um, what would be the protocol in this situation?" And he tells me, and usually gives me some good anecdotes to go with it. So that's a lot of fun. So speaking of calling the sheriff um, and things like that, research. Um, did you do any type of extensive research for Strip Bear? And if so, what did that entail? <coughs> Excuse me. I didn't do a whole lot with, with Kate. My earlier books, um, the Nora Abbott series, um, I did a lot of research. I wrote about Hopi Indians in that. And um, I, I'm not a Hopi. <laughs> And so I did a, a lot of research on that, and it was it was difficult. And I thought, I'm going to try to do something that's a lot easier this time. I'm going to write about something I know. So I did do some research. There's there's some environmental issues that come up in the Kate book, the first one, Stripped Bear. Um, the second book that will be out in October takes place on the uh, Burlington Northern Santa Fe, the murders um, on the railroad. And my husband worked on the railroad for 42 years. My, my good husband, the one now, um, worked on that railroad for 42 years. So I got most of my research on that. But sadly, well, and I, maybe I, it may not be sad, but um, unexpectedly, I should say, in, at the end of book two, um, a, sher- a de- sheriff's deputy shows up at Kate's doorstep, more or less, and it turns out he's Lakota Sioux. So now I'm back to researching Lakota Sioux. <laughs> wow. So legend has it that it took you close to 20 years to publish that first novel. Shannon, was there any time in that period where you thought of giving up and throwing in the towel? 
Absolutely. I, I quit writing the way my sister quit smoking. You know, I, I quit and then I come back. <laughs> By the way, she's smoking again. But um, <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I quit when I left the Sandhills. I quit for about a year or so just because I couldn't, I, I was trying to get my wheels spinning underneath me again. And then I quit again um, after that for, for about two years while I got my MBA. Um, and I always came back. And, and I think the reason I came back is not because I'm so compelled to write, but I, I was, that's where my friends are and all these relationships. And I'd, I had worked so hard that to walk away would, would be to just give up everything that I'd worked so hard for. And I always, I always have this, right. this idea that it could be the next query letter. You know, that could be the one or, or the next book or the next whatever. I had an old pastor one time, and I used to do carpentry work for him. And I would, he would put me on the unskilled things like sanding. And I would sand and sand and sand and sand. And I'd call him over and I'd say, how does this look? And he would just look at me and shake his head and say, don't quit till you're done. And that's always kind of been my motto with writing. Just don't quit till you're done. So I haven't. That, that's an excellent, excellent motto. Um, one of your quotes, Shannon, on Goodreads says, because the goal in writing is always to get to the truth of a character, dig inside and find out what drives them and how they feel. I think there is a part of me in every character I write. So is it always easy getting to the truth of your character, Shannon, or does it take longer for some of the characters than others? Um, I, I, can, I think I can find the truth. I'm, I'm pretty, pretty honest at finding the truth in a character. My issue comes into play to bring that out in a way that's, that's subtle and compelling and um, that that's an aha kind of moment. You know, if you, if you read something like, um, oh, uh, Margaret Atwood in the cat's eye or Robert Bright or something, you know, she's got these truths about these characters and they, but, but she doesn't slap you in the face with them. They just, it comes out and, and you, and you, you just, the reader discovers it. And that's, that's always my goal is to, to have the reader have a moment where they go, oh, that is so interesting. I did not know that he felt that way. And what about craft? The craft of conceptualizing and writing a story. After you become inspired by the first what if, do you make an outline for chapters or sections of your manuscript before you write it, or do you just let it free flow? Oh, you know, I, I have I have an MBA and I'm a, an accountant by trade. I'm retired now, but um, so my first books, I have that part of the brain that likes everything nice and neat and to balance up. So my earlier books, I used to plot on an Excel spreadsheet, and I would color code it, and I would have different ca- um, columns would be different things like you know plotting the the character arc and, you know, making sure all the characters had motivation and all kinds of things. Um, and then I, I kind of moved to Scrivener. And now I don't plot quite as extensively because I know that I'm going to get better ideas and I know that things are going to change and I'm going to 
just do different things. <coughs> Excuse me. But um, but I do like to know, to have a good idea of where the story will probably go. Um, otherwise, I stay awake at night and worry, worry, worry. I, I keep hearing people <laughs> that say, oh, I just sit down and go. You know, Katrina McPherson says, I just start at the top of the hill and jump on my sled and let it go. I'm like, oh, man, I would be, I would just be a basket case. They'd have to put me in a straitjacket. I got to know a little <laughs> bit more than that. So let's talk about Shannon Baker, the person. Where did you grow up and what was your childhood like? My my childhood um, was very much like an army brat. Um, my dad worked in retail, and he worked for the W.T. Grant Company, which is not in existence anymore. It was very much like a Woolworths, you know, five and dime kind of place. Sure, Kresge, I remember Woolworths. Um, something like that. Yeah. We used to call it the five and ten. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, and he was on a career path. So he, you know, every two years we would pick up and move because he would get a promotion, and so we'd move to a different place. I had an older brother and sister, and so we were, you know, we were our playmates and our, <coughs> and our buddies. So by the time I got to high school, my mom had had enough of that, and she said, nope, we're going home. We're going home to Nebraska, which is where they both lived in western Nebraska, and so they packed us all up, and I got to go home and do my whole, was the only one of our, our three kids that did all four years of high school in the same school, and which worked out well for me because I got to be homecoming queen and cheerleader and all those, those and, and antiquated things that they don't do now. <laughs> it was fun at the time. <laughs> and then I went to the University of Nebraska, go big red. So, you mentioned some of the authors and, and books that you like, but what were some of the books and authors that inspired you in your youth? <clears throat> I used to read um, anything that came across my path. So I mostly, when I was in high school, I just picked up whatever my folks read, and they read thrillers and um I guess, uh, mainstream fiction. So I read a lot of that. That's kind of the stuff I was reading. Um, uh, as, as a kid, I, I remember reading Bambi. Um, I was probably eight or nine. And of course I had seen the movie as a you know, really little kid. And I was shocked at the difference between the two, the book and the, the movie. I mean, it was the first time in my life I ever thought, holy cow, books are so much better. And so I mm. went on to read Little Women. It's one of the few books I've ever read twice. Loved that book. Um, I remember in high school, my dad, who was who was a dyed wool conservative, um, he thought Nixon was the best president we ever had. I remember in high school, he handed me Atlas Shrugged and made me read it. That was required reading. <laughs> so I had I had those influences going. Atlas Shrugged, eh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, boy. I wonder how you got through that one at that age. <laughs> and <laughs> ran. <laughs> I'm sure. So, you know, Shannon, a lot of authors and up-and-coming authors always want to know, they listen to the show and want to know about publishing. How can they get published? How did authors get published? So how did your very first book get published? Did you go mainstream? <laughs> <laughs> 
independent or did you self-publish? And were there any challenges in the publishing process? So I, I have always been traditionally published, although my first book um, was published in 2010 which with a nano press, I like to call it. Um, I think their business model okay. was to publish a bunch of books and then have authors buy them. I'm not real sure. that The book didn't deserve to be published, so and it's out of print now, so I'm really happy about that. But um, <laughs> <laughs> with the Nora Abbott series, I met my editor from Midnight Inc. at a writer's conference. And we I didn't even picture my book because I didn't think it was a mystery. And we just got to talking. We had drinks in the bar. We sat next to each other at meals. We just got to be really, you know, good friends like you do at conferences. And we were waiting for our flights home. And, and I said, hey, you know, I'm just going to send you my book. And she said, oh, yeah, I do. And so she, she uh, read it and liked it and bought it, made me an offer, and she said, is this a stand? And, and I thought it was a thriller. And I said, you know, it's, she says, first of all, it's not a thriller. I said, really? She said, it's a, it's a mystery. And is it a standalone or a series? And I'm not really stupid. I said, it's a series. <laughs> so I had to <laughs> scramble and try to figure out how to write a series. But that's that's how that happened. I didn't have an agent with with those three books. But after they had a run, and I, it looked like I, they weren't going to renew me, <coughs> I wrote Kate Fox, and I went out and got an agent. And it, it sounds so easy because when I had queried agents before, it would be hundreds and hundreds. I mean, I I just I guess was not ready for prime time, so I queried um, ten within the first ten eight. Queries. I had an agent, and she sold the book within a month at auction. So, so that that all seemed like a fairy tale after all the grueling stuff I'd been through before that. Wow, that that is awe inspiring, um, Shannon. I'd like to talk about your other dynamic female protagonist, who you just mentioned, Nora Abbott. How did she and her exciting series come to life? Well, I the last oh, 11 years, um, we have been like a rolling stone. My husband and I have just moved and moved. It's all been job-related kind of things, so we have moved way too much. But we, we spent five years, seven years, I guess, in Flagstaff, Arizona, and I worked for the Grand Canyon Trust, which is an environmental nonprofit com- conservation thing. Um, and... I'm not a conservationist because, you know, I'm from Nebraska. <laughs> Those are two mutually exclusive things. But um, <laughs> I, I loved my job at the Grand Canyon. It had great, great perks. I got to go up on the North Rim a lot. I got to um, just do a lot of really fun things in the landscapes of the the Mogollon Rim and up there. It's beautiful. But um, so Kate kind of came to me there. I, I was living in Flagstaff. And they had this um, huge controversy when we first moved in, and it was um, whether to do man-made snow on the peaks outside of town. Um, and Snowball is is one of the oldest uh, ski resorts in the country. It was, I think, founded in 1937 or something. But because of climate change and stuff, there isn't enough snowpack. So they wanted to, to do man-made snow up there. But the peaks are sacred to 12 tribes. And so there was a lot of controversy, and I thought, well, somebody's going to die over that one. <laughs> and so um, 
I thought, well, I could figure out who it is. And and that's how that came about. And I wanted to use Kate or Nora because I wanted to use somebody that like a character that I worked with at the Grand Canyon Trust and had that kind of sensibility there. So that was a lot of fun. I got to know a lot about the Hopi tribe. Well, speaking of the Hopi tribe, why is the Hopi tribe so crucial to the Nora Abbott story? Well, when I when I started researching, um, I discovered them, and they are they, they're so fascinating. And of course, they are very very secretive. Um, so they're the ones I chose to write about, making it much more difficult. But they have good reason to be secretive because you you probably know this, but a lot of their kachinas which you know us white people think of as masks they they believe are the spirits they're the actual kachinas were stolen by white people up on their their mesas and then taken away and so they're very skeptical of white people and they don't like their kachinas stolen so i understand why they're so secretive but the hopi are probably one of the smallest tribes and one of the uh, poorest tribes they live on three mesas up on the in northern arizona but they really really truly believe that they are responsible for the balance of the whole world, the entire world. And to, to maintain this balance, they have to do all these ceremonies. But because of youth drain, like they're experiencing like everybody else, no one wants to live up there where they don't have running water and electricity. So they're, they don't have the clans that aren't intact like they were. So they can't do the ceremonies they were supposed to. And so they believe that they're responsible for the climate change and you know the social dis- disrest all over, unrest. Um, so they're very interesting. Um, I did discover, I read this someplace, and I'm not sure it's true, and I'm, I haven't looked it up, but if you draw a line straight from the Hopi Reservation, straight through the globe, it comes out in Tibet. And the Tibetan word wow. for sun is the Hopi word for moon. And the Hopi word for sun is the Tibetan word for moon. That just gives wow, me Wow, that's awesome. That is awesome. Um, Shannon, I love the covers of your books. Talk about their symbolism. And do you design them yourself, or did someone else do it for you? Are we talking about the Nora books? Uh, the Nora um, books are brilliantly covered design. I love them. Well, um, so... Uh, Midnight Inc. did the the covers, and they uh, they did the first one. They sent it to me, and I I got my Hopi friend because I have my, I have a, a friend that worked at the trust that was a Hopi um, traditionalist, and she she had a library degree, so it worked really well for me because she understood what fiction was. Um, so because a lot of people don't, you know, they don't understand that that fiction is stuff you make up, and then they'll get upset if it's not exact. You know, but anyway, but she's a traditionalist, so um, she read all my books and, and told me what to you know what she'd prefer I changed and and what to put in, what to leave out. But I, I showed her my cover because, like you said, there's a lot of symbolism in the Hopi. Everything means something, right. and so I, I was really more afraid that like the banner they used would say something like "Death to White People." I you know I just didn't know. So I called her into my office and I said, what do you think of that? And she looked at it and she said, oh, no. And I said, what? She said, that kachina. She said, that's, that's like a kitchen kachina. It's mild. It's, it's nothing. 
to do with your book? And I said, really? And so she sat down and she flipped through this, and it turns out that her father is a pretty well-known Kachina Carver. And so she showed me some pictures, and she said, this is the one. And I clipped it and sent it to the artist at Midnight Inc., and, and by God, they did it. They, and, you know, they made the few changes because apparently you can make up Kachinas. I, I thought they were like saints, you know, and you couldn't, you couldn't just make one up. And I was asking her, you know, I, I, what would be a good Kachina to use? And she said, well, just make one up. So I did. So I gave him feathers and a hatchet. And, and so they, they put feathers and hatchet on this guy, and, and he's on the covers now. How cool is that? Um, Shannon, let's talk about what I call the 800-pound gorilla in the room, and that is marketing, as you mentioned earlier. So many authors spend so much time writing and publishing their book but have no clue on how and what it tells to market it. How do you handle the publicizing and marketing of your books? Well, um, that's a really good question. Um, I, I have – it's been a learning curve for me. I haven't – I've each book gets a little bit better. And I think there's – it's like a snowball you know, it's just you, you kind of gather momentum. Um, so I've, it's, it's a difficult thing and nobody has the right answer for it. I think you just need to do what, what you're comfortable with. Um, for this last book, Stripped Bear, I, I hired a publicist. It's the first time I've ever done that. And I, I thought that was really worthwhile, really worthwhile. Um, they don't come cheap, but she she knows a way lot more than I do. She wrote press releases. She did a press kit for me. She queried places I never would have queried. Um, she set up a tour for me, which I don't think I'm going to do this time around. But um, that was a lot of fun. And then what I did with this last book was, and this was more fun than, than I think you're allowed to have while you're marketing, but um, a good friend of mine, um, Jess Laurie, who also writes for Midnight Inc., uh, among other places, had a book coming out the exact same day. And so we decided to do a, a joint blog tour, the two of us together. And we did a month-long pre-launch blog tour to try to get pre-sales and um, went to, I think, 25 different stops on this blog tour. And it was so much fun. We, it was just so much fun. We were you know, bantering with each other and the people that, responded and I think we're going to do that again this year so I don't know if you told any books but (laughs) you've got the name out (laughs) but you have fun right (laughs) yeah and we made a splash so you know they say that they have to a, a consumer has to see a message 12 times before they act on it so I guess every little bit helps and and I I go to conferences i love going to conferences um again i'm not sure that sells any books but it's kind of a vacation for me so i go shannon every writer has his or her own special way of working the magic some authors can pull out a pen or a laptop and write anything anywhere at any time but others need a special time and place to be creative. Which one are you? I am really dogged. So it doesn't really matter. And and as I said, we've moved around so much and we've often lived in in homes that are 800 square feet. So 
you know, it's the kitchen table or it's nothing. <laughs> so um, now in, in Tucson, I have an, a dedicated office, which I use sometimes, but I'm, I'm up and down. I do a, when I'm working a, a first draft, I, I have 2,000 words a day, and I'll write those 2,000 words a day from start to finish. Um, so if that means I'm going to go do a long bike ride one day, I'll get up extra early and write the 2,000 words. When I get to the rewriting and editing stages, I'm not quite as disciplined, but it's really important for me to, to get that first draft down quickly. There is a major school of thought that feels in order to be a good writer, you have to be an extensive reader. Do you agree? I do. I do. I, I, um, I read a lot. I always have read a lot. My family, I come from a long line of readers. Um, but recently, probably in the last two years, a, a friend of mine, and he's, he's also a mystery writer, um, decided to have a two-person book club. And we pick uh, bestsellers. Very, we pick very successful books. And then we read them and try to analyze why. And I, I really believe that that's made a big difference in my writing. I think both of us have upped our game quite a bit just from that an analysis that we've been doing. But then I have to read wow, this for fun. Like just a, because... Of course. But that sounds like a really great thing to do. And as you said, it's made you uh, step up your game as a writer. How cool is that? Um, in closing, Shannon, as an accomplished fiction author, what advice do you have for new up-and-coming writers? Is there anything you learned from your journey that you wish you knew before you started? You know, I I think I would tell new writers to understand that it's a long game. It it is, you know, you don't expect success immediately. It takes a long time to put all the pieces together to figure out how to write a book. There's so many. And you know, there's a rare unicorn that'll publish right out of the gate, but generally it takes a really long time. And I think <laughs> A lot of the, um, with indie writers, I think sometimes they're not they're not letting it it grow, and they're not reaching their potential before they publish, and then they and then they don't, um, and that may be wrong. I don't know. I, I have an indie published. What do I know about that? But um, it is a long game, and there's there's so many pieces, so much knowledge to to learn before you can write a book that people love to read. So what's next for Shannon Baker? Um, I know you have the second book in the series coming out soon, or in October, as you said, uh, but what other items do you have in the fire coming up? Well, I've got a um, short story that's coming out in a, an anthology next fall from a Denver publisher, Hex Publishing, I'm really looking forward to that. Um, this weekend, no, 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 I take that back. Um, March 11th and 12th, I'll be at the Tucson Festival of Books, which is an amazing two days. Lots of fun. You should come. Um, and then I'm, I've got another series I'm, I'm itching to start writing a, about a, a retired woman cop 
from Buffalo who settles in Tucson. Interesting. Wow, you got a lot of stuff coming up, and, and that's really good. And I would love to make that Tucson Festival. Let's see if I can make that happen. So if people want to contact you, Shannon, uh, follow you, uh, send you emails, or just plain contact you for any reason, can you give out any contact information you'd like? Absolutely. My website is shannon-baker.com. Um, I have a Twitter handle. I can't tell you what it is. I think it's um, – but don't try to contact me there because I haven't figured out Twitter yet. It's it's on my February <laughs> list. Figure this out. I've, I've, 140 I, characters I warn you. or less. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I don't have to, I don't have problem posting. I have a problem um, responding. I, I think it's just rude to just keep posting and not responding. So I have to figure that out. <laughs> But, um, yeah. This has been the Funk Soul Cafe with me, Robert Batista. One of the easiest ways to peer into my soul is to download and read my free micro story called My Baby Has No Name from Smashwords.com. My guest has been author Shannon Baker, and her latest book is called Strip Bear. I love the title. Make sure you order your copy today. I will close with an ancient proverb. They thought they could bury us. They didn't know we were seeds. Thank you so much, Shannon, for being my guest on the Funk Soul Cafe. And thank you, Robert, and I, I love that proverb. It is so, 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 so great. But uh, go ahead and have some hot tea with lemon and get some rest and uh, enjoy the rest of your evening. Thanks so much. And thank you so much for coming on the show, Shannon. Bye now. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.